All right, hey everyone, this is Cameron, and here we are in week two of our John devotional, uh, where we are trying to get our whole church community here at Northeast to read through the Gospel of John a few chapters a week. This week we are in chapters five through eight. Uh, we'll be in these chapters through Sunday, and then uh, starting Monday we will start another one, and we'll have a couple published this week, a few more next week, and I hope this has been encouraging for you. Um, to just jump in in chapters 5 through 8. In this section, we see a whole bunch of things. Uh, as you've been reading, hopefully you've read at least once through. Um, we see a healing as, as the section starts of Jesus healing this man uh, born without function in his legs. Uh, we see a, a feeding of 5,000 plus people. Uh, we see Jesus walk on water and we see him making increasingly bold claims about who he was in relationship to God the Father. Um, and, and these chapters, they, they, you could say they're marked by this almost just increasing, ratcheting up tension in the book. And if you've been able to read the chapters a few times, I hope you've seen that. Like As he's doing these amazing things, we also see many of the religious leaders of his day, these Jewish religious leaders, becoming hostile increasingly in their reactions to him. So they're, they're beginning, even in these early chapters, to plot his arrest and, and even talking about killing Jesus. Um, others respond differently, though. So if one reaction is hostility, others are, are, are more curious or confused. They see the things happening and they're beginning to ask questions. They're wondering um, about, about him. And then still others, they're beginning to, to have real faith begin to shore up. You see some begin to believe that, that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah King. Uh, even with one group we read, uh, beginning to, to want to thrust him into political power on the spot. Like, hey, this is the King. Let's, let's do it. Let's take over. Let's, let's establish the, his kingdom right now. Um, but Jesus is somewhat elusive. Um, Jesus does not want that to happen at this point. So he begins to, to teach and perform these signs, but then he'll, he'll, he'll travel away and evade these kinds of things um, very strategically. So Jesus is going about and all these reactions are in response to him and some with just increasing tension and danger for Jesus and his disciples here in chapters five through eight. And I think that this section of John, it's forcing us to, to ask this question that's the perennial question, a question we, we, um, we're all faced with before we became Christians ourselves. It's one we are continually faced with as we continue to encounter him in the scriptures, encounter our world, and, and, and wonder, who is he? So there it is. The question is, who is this Jesus? Um, is he a blasphemous lunatic worthy of execution? Um, or maybe he's an idiosyncratic teacher sort of worth investigating and, and listening to uh, partially? Or is he the son of God, worthy of allegiance and worship? Um, the different answers that people give to this question provide the tension that these chapters of John highlight. Um, and these questions, this, this key question, is no less relevant for us this week either for, for reasons we'll get into. So, uh, But for today, we're going to spend just a few minutes briefly reflecting on John 5, 19 through 24. And so this text comes right after Jesus has healed the crippled man and then the account of, of the controversy it created for the religious leaders. 
Um, in short, they, they were scandalized that Jesus healed this man. So, so they're not celebrating that this man's fortune had radically reversed, that he could now walk, he could now participate in life uh, much more fully. But they're fuming that Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath. And John 5.18 says they were wanting even more to kill him after this episode. Um, because Jesus was, quote, they say, making himself equal with God and how he talked about this and how he talked about the Sabbath. Um, so verse 19 through the end of chapter 5, they record this long answer uh, to this accusation that Jesus is making himself equal with God. And in short, he very carefully, in, in, in a very like sort of nuanced way, but he, he says, yes, he says, I am equal to God the Father. So let's just zero in on verses 19 through 24 here. I'll, I'll read them. Um, it says, So Jesus said to them, said to these accusers, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And there's a lot going on in these few verses, but I just want to note a few key points here. First, uh, whatever Jesus means by implying that, that he himself is equal with God, he does not mean that he's independent from God. He doesn't set himself over against God. He, his equality with God is connected to his doing what God does. He says that the Father is constantly showing him things and that Jesus is, is, is following and is responding and is joining in on those things. Um, Jesus and God are single-minded and unified. So Jesus has no interest in setting himself up against uh, the, the God of the Hebrew Bible. He, he says they are, they are working together in unison, Jesus responding to God the Father's leading, single-minded and unified. Second, um, Jesus makes this crazy claim. So we've just seen this am amazing miracle of the healing of this man on the Sabbath. Jesus says God is going to show and thus to do through him even greater things than the miracles already witnessed so far. Uh, and he goes on, he says, specifically, specifically, he starts talking about the raising of the dead and the giving of life, uh, which we're going to see play out later in the book. Jesus is going to literally raise dead folks back to life to resuscitate them. And he's going to give, so he's going to give both physical life and he's going to talk a lot about this idea of the eternal life and the abundant life and, and life of, of a deeper, better everlasting quality. Um, in his commentary, D.A. Carson points out this, that the Old Testament writers presupposed that the raising of the dead was, was a prerogative belonging to God 
alone. And he quotes 2 Kings 5-7, through 7, uh, which says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Um, the implication being only God can do that. Only God can bring back to life. And that's a promise that the prophets pick up on, just this, this yearning for resurrection. And so Jesus foretells, and it's we're going to read about it, uh, he foretells that he too is going to raise the dead and give life, which is something only God does. Um, so, so this is that perhaps that even greater thing that that uh, is going to be seen. And third, uh, Jesus states that he will give eternal life to the one who's who honors him, and thus honors the Father, who hears his word, and who believes the God who sent Jesus. So we've just got this. You see this just melding of of Jesus and the Father to honor me is to honor him. And likewise, to believe God is to trust me and to trust me is to believe God, to look at me. You're going to have all these statements that just bring unity and unity and unity to the relationship between God and Jesus. Um, and so Jesus ties up one's response to himself and one's response to God the Father together. How you respond to me, Jesus says, is how you're actually responding to God. And how you respond to God is actually how you respond to me. You can't separate these things. And here we just want to note, too, that this eternal life he speaks of here in this passage is something one has now. And he, th- this phrase, he, he has passed from death to life, is the Greek perfect tense. It, it's something that happens in the past that has an effect that carries forward. Um, so he's saying eternal life begins now. It's, it begins with this response to Jesus and this response to God. And it, it involves this transfer from the domain of death into the domain of life. That begins now. So, so he wants us to understand at least two really, really, really important things. He gives us eternal life that begins now. And then also, number two, this eternal life will be victorious over our future deaths. I think both of these ideas are present. So there's a qualitative aspect of eternal life that begins now, and then there's this uh, victory over death that will happen later. And Jesus wants us to think of both of these things. And so I just want to pause here and, and, uh, and note that in some ways, like this is old hat Christianity, right? It's like, duh, Christians... Um, believe in life after death, um, believe in heaven, believe in eternal life, whatever. Uh, the Gospel of John is all about this. comes up a ton. And it's so easy for us just to, to read this and skate past. Like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Jesus does that. That's, that's a Jesus-y thing. Of course, we believe Jesus brings eternal life if we're believers. Uh, but let's just pause and think deeply about this for a second. Because in the age of the coronavirus, man, things have turned upside down for many of us. My guess is that you've begun to think of your own mortality a bit more and and the mortality of your loved ones a bit more and a bit differently. Um, and we're sitting here not meeting as a church because we're, we're worried and we're trying to helpfully work to contribute that, that, that our healthcare system would not be completely overwhelmed um, and that, as of course, as a result, that people wouldn't die um, who would otherwise if it did get overwhelmed. Um, 
we're sitting here thinking about the vulnerability of, of the elderly people in our lives, in our families, and in our church community here at Door of Hope Northeast and at Door of Hope Southeast and, and in our relationships beyond. We're thinking about these people that we know and love or or that we happen to be. I mean, if you're listening to this, you, if you're in your 60s or older, you're probably sitting here thinking, man, I'm, I'm at risk. I'm at particular risk from this coronavirus. Um, a friend's death has suddenly become much more real and much more threatening. Um, in the first century, when Jesus was was living and, and um, even when, when these Gospels were written, death was thought to be much more real <laughs> than we typically think of it in the modern West. Like, we have a life expectancy and a quality of life here um, that is historically, frankly, unprecedented. Uh, like even, I don't want to be insensitive here, but even if you live in poverty in, in modern America, um, in, in most circumstances, you still live a historically unprecedented um, sort of life of, of comfort and life expectancy um, on average. Uh, like medical technology, um, uh, air conditioning, um, transportation, um, and we should even comment escapist entertainment and the rapid availability of it. All these things serve to keep us from looking death and, and discomfort square in the eye. And I know, of course, there are people deeply suffering, but, but, but historically, the, the, the baseline uh, has moved up for us. Um, today, my, my hunch is that really in the last couple weeks, despite all these things, despite medical technology, despite the modern hospital, despite um, the creature comforts, despite entertainment lulling us away from thinking about such things. My hunch is that today, this knowledge of death has come roaring back into focus for many of us. Um, death is real, friends. Christianity does not deny that. And yet, here in John 5, and elsewhere, Jesus is making the claim that he has power over it, that he has power over it, that death is not the end, uh, that he, he comes to give us abundant life, full life, eternal life. Now, he even says here, just through hearing his word and believing in God, um, John's going to push back again and again and again to this reality that he even says later in the book that the reason he wrote this book is that we might believe, that we might trust, that we might have faith. All these words more or less synonymous to say, looking at Jesus and who he is, looking at his sacrificial death on our behalf and trusting in that, receiving it, uh, makes it real for us individually, that we're forgiven and that we inherit this promise of, of resurrection we get a foretaste now, we get the full reality later when he comes back to set all things right and literally raises us from our death into life. Jesus says this is the fundamental reality. Um, that however freaked out, however afraid we are right now, however much suffering we're experiencing, however much we've lost our jobs, we don't know where uh, our, our, our bills are going to get paid or, or how we're going to put food on the table for some of us. Um, May we take comfort in the fact that Jesus here claims that he is the Lord even over death. That he 
brings life. He brings life. And if that is true, I know some days we have trouble believing that's true. We have doubts. We have fears that that seem overwhelming and and squash this out of our heart and out of our mind. But but when we can return to this and, and trust that this is in fact the case, that Jesus was not lying, he wasn't confused, he wasn't deluded, he wasn't Uh, being manipulative when he said these things, but that this is the truth of the matter. Um, It changes everything Uh, because suddenly we don't have to fear even death uh, because we know that he has overcome it and he proved it on the cross. He went to death for us. He raised to life for us. He ascended to the Father for us. He says, if that's true, if, if I have that power, I have the power to make all things new. I have the power to raise you. I have the power to raise your loved ones. I have the power to take this broken world and make it whole. Um, so I hope, I hope as you've been reading through John this week that that has encouraged you, that that's stuck with you, um, that the reality of, of who Jesus is um, and his power over life and death, uh, that it's exclusive to God, good thing he's God, um, brings you peace. Um, so that is it for today. Um, happy reading through John. I I hope that this has been encouraging for you so far. Uh, we're going to keep going and we're going to hear from some other people in the church as we, as we continue to go through. So, uh, let's keep doing this together while we're apart. Amen.